Amen. Absolutely. Go ahead and sit down. Uh, I just want to highlight that song real quick because that song is a song of identity. I need you to understand this. That is a song where we are declaring, God, I belong to you. Okay? I belong to you. And the chorus, what you need to know, the chorus says, um, I got to read it. I'm sorry. Where'd it go? No, back one. Go make it happen. That's not it. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, so, I belong to you. Here we go. All right. Oh, you called me out of darkness. Does that not fit with what we're talking about right now in this series? Darkness, light, called me out of hiding. Uh, you silenced every lie. No other voice will define me. I belong to you. Right? That's what we're singing. Now, here's the key. We get to the chorus, and the chorus says, you know the enemy can't take what I have. Change who I am. I belong to you. Now, Depending on how you read that, that can say like, I belong to you, but God, I'm not quite there. You got to change who I am because I belong to you. That's not what this song is saying, okay? This song is saying, you know, the enemy can't take what I have or change who I am because I belong to you. That's what you're declaring, okay? You are declaring that if you belong to him, you belong to him, and no one can take from you your destiny because you belong to him, amen? Amen. All right. I just need you to know that before we move on, because I don't want you to miss the, the, the reality that you are singing right there. Okay, so we're going to go on, and we're going to keep going into um, this letter of 1 John. Keep plugging away here. And uh, I know it can feel a little bit more like a Bible study, because we're doing a little bit of a kind of a line-by-line line thing here, um, and, and that's okay. So maybe it doesn't feel as much like a sermon series, but I think it's really important because the content in this scripture influences our understanding, and we have to, we have to recognize what, what we're understanding and what we're really paying attention to here. Um, it, uh, it influences our understanding and our walk with Christ and everything. So we need to know, we need to pay, take it as a line-by-line line thing. Um, and so last week, I reminded you or I, I reminded us that this is a letter, Okay. And we have to take it as a letter. It's a whole thing. You can't take the pieces and the parts and decide what pieces and parts mean because it's a letter, okay? And everything that we read today has to come in the context of what we talked about last week, what we talked about the week before that, all of that. It's a whole letter. And so because of that, today we're going to reference back to what we talked about last week and the week before and all of that to help us get a frame around what John is trying to write here in this scripture. So, we're going to go to the letter of 1 John, or as my Bible says it, the first letter of John, all right? So uh, 1 John, and uh, we're going to go to verses uh, 15 through 17. That's where we're going to start this morning. Chapter 2, sorry. Chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Yeah, we're only in chapter 2, okay? Um, now, for your reference, pay attention he says, this, this chapter, or verse 15, comes right after he says, um, yes, he, it says, I, sorry, I, I'm losing my place here. This verse, this comes in the context of John saying, um, I know who you are, okay? I know who you are. Um, you're, you're, you're people who know, uh, who know him, who know Christ. So let's go into this. Verse 15, it says this, do not love the world nor the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. Now, we could stop right there, and, uh, and we could do a sermon on that. I, you've probably heard a sermon on that if you've been in church for a while. That phrase, right, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I've heard many sermons on that. Um, but I think we need to make sure we keep it in the context of what we're talking about. And, and so in order to do that, we have to remember that this is in the context of John writing a letter about fellowship, okay? And he just got done writing a letter or writing part of it that says, uh, talking about this whole idea of if, if you love your brothers uh, or, or if you say, say you love your brothers and sisters, but you really hate them, um, then, then the light of God is not in you and all that. So it's, it's in the context of fellowship, in the context of fellowship, in the context of enjoying those relationships that John writes about. And so he's saying, don't love the world. You start to see this picture that he's writing. It's not, he's not just writing about the world. He's saying, you're a part of something different now. Brothers and sisters, you got something else here. So for your allegiance to be to the world is, doesn't make sense, okay? Um, John uses this term, the world, very often. In uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those gospels, they use the word 18 times, cosmos. Co- co- yeah, something like cosmos, right? They use that word 18 times. John uses this word 57 times. It's a big deal for him. But he's also very flexible with how he uses that word. So we're gonna go to John chapter three, the gospel of John chapter three, and we'll read verse 16, which JD so lovely quoted for us earlier. All right. 316, for God so loved the world, did you catch that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him, okay? Now go back and read, for God so loved the world, okay? Go back and read 1 John chapter two. For God so loved the world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not love the world. What? Wait a minute. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So wait a minute. Let's make sense of this, John. For God so loved the world, that's the Father, so loved the world that he sent his Son. But if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. How does that make sense? What are you talking about, John? Don't get confused. How do we make sense of that? Context, okay? Context of the letter and what John is writing about. John is writing about fellowship in the church. He just got done, again, he just got done a couple of sentences ago talking about loving one another. And so he says, don't love the world, but love your brothers and your sisters, okay? And he uses these terms, love and hate. Seems very extreme, doesn't it? If you don't love something, then you hate it. Well, why can't we just use a term like ignore? I don't know, right? Or like something a little less severe, John, love and hate. But you have to understand it in the context, which is John, a Jewish man writing to Jewish readers. And in that understanding, they understood loving and hating as terms that are talking about like allegiances. Like, where's your allegiance? Where, where is your priorities? And all of those things, okay? Jesus, John, when, Je- when Jesus is quoted, he says, if you, uh, if you don't love, actually, I think this is in Matthew, but if, if you don't hate 
your mother or your father or your brothers and sisters, you can't be my disciple. Hate? It's a very strong word. Is Jesus saying, like, okay, you got to hate your families, otherwise, you know, you can't, you can't be, be my family. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. But the only way you understand that is when you're understanding the context of the Hebrew understanding and that love and hate is, is, is talking about this idea of, of being aware of, of where you belong and what you're a part of and your allegiances. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You will love one and hate the other. Well, does he really mean that if we love God, we're going to despise, hate money? It's going to be never a part of our lives. We're just going to despise it and completely run away from it? No, he's saying when you love money, you're not going to be bound to money. Okay? It's, not your, it's not your allegiance. It's, money is like a thing of, of the world. And so it's not going to be really like it's not, you're not bound to it. right? You're not tied to it in the same way anymore. What's the priority here? So in this discussion about fellowship, John uses that same kind of expression where he says, don't love the world because he's saying your allegiance is not to this world anymore. You're a part of something different now. Your brothers and sisters, love your brothers and sisters, right? That's kind of, he's making that, that, that context or, or that he's setting up that comparison in that way. He says, this, this idea is like you're, you're not a part of the world anymore. In fact, that world is passing away, right? All of those things are going away. And what you're going to find in the next, next couple of verses as we read, he really drives that message home that you're not a part of this world. Your allegiance is not to this world anymore. He drives that, that uh, point home by saying what you are a part of or what your allegiance is to now because you are a part of something uh, different, okay? So we're gonna read the next, next scripture and then let's, uh, let's connect it back here again. So verse 18 in chapter two of 1 John. So he just finishes up, he said, um, the world is passing away in all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God will continues to live forever, okay? Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be evident that they, are, they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, see, it, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. So it's in that very last verse that we just read that John brings together this point that he is making, eternal life. He says, the world and its lust, those are, those are passing away. But this is the promise we have, eternal life. Do you see the comparison that he's setting up? John says, you are eternal. 
That's what he's trying to make the point. You are eternal. The world is passing away, but you are eternal. We have this promise, he says. John himself sat as Jesus taught and said and told them this promise. And now John is writing to these people and saying, I am telling you that you are eternal. We have this promise of eternal life. And I know that because I heard it from Jesus and I'm telling you so now you can know that. Okay? He's passing on that message. This world is passing away and that's okay because you're not a part of it anymore. You're different. You're set apart. You are eternal. You don't belong to it anymore. Don't love the world. It doesn't make sense that your allegiances would be tied to these things here. You're different now. You have different priorities. You have different stuff going on than just what you can see. He wants them to understand that they have been made right, in right relationship with God, as they were meant to from the very beginning in relationship with God. And he says you are eternally with him, eternally alive with him, eternal life. And knowing and understanding that idea of eternal life and that you are eternal now will change what you expect the world to be and how you expect to interact with the world and what you expect to get from the world. I want you people in this room, online, podcast, wherever, to understand that when you said yes to the gift of life in Jesus Christ, you said yes to an eternal relationship with him. Eternal life. That is the promise. Eternity. It's a spiritual relationship with him but it's eternal. It's eternity. That means it has no beginning and it has no end. Now, I know that's weird. It has no beginning. How did it have no beginning? I said, yes, at some point. Yeah, but now you've entered eternity and and you're in Christ and Christ has no beginning and Christ has no end. So your eternity has no beginning and has no end. And in that relationship, you will interact with the world. uh, uh, um, But you have to understand that, yes, you're, you're in the world, but your primary existence is a spirit. You've been made alive as a spirit. That's why this understanding of of being a spirit that lives in a body that has a soul, that's why you have to understand that. Because yes, you're in the world, but you're not part of it anymore. You're more than that. You're above it, right? You're you're beyond this physical realm. You're made alive in Christ, one with the spirit of God in Christ. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. You fused with Christ. And because of that, this world, this kingdom that you're experiencing physically right now is not the sum total of your life experience, okay? Yes, it is your physical experience right now, but your spiritual experience goes beyond it because you are eternal. That is the promise, eternal life. Your spirit fused with Christ because of Christ. You are eternal. When you wrap your head around that, John, this is kind of what John's saying, wrap your head around that and then tell me you want the world, right? Wrap your head around it. When you get it, you, you, you recognize that No, you don't love the world, not the way that he's talking about, right? The life available to you now in Christ is so much more than this 
experience, right, than this physical thing that we've got going on. John chapter 16, excuse me, yeah, John, the gospel of John chapter 16, if I can get there, says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Guess what? Believer, Christian, you have overcome the world. You have overcome the world. How can I say that? Because it's Christ in you. Because it's you in Christ. He did it for you, and he is in you, and you are in him. Do you want, I mean, get that. Get that. You are not bound to this world and its principles any longer, okay? You're above that. You're outside of that. You're not bound to it anymore. You are not bound to the, to the fear, to anxiety, to shame, to substances, to the protections, to the addictions, the pretenses, the abuses, anything else that the world uses to get by in this world. You're not bound to that anymore because you're not part of that world. You're eternal. You're in it. It's part of your experience right now, but you're eternal. You go beyond it. And because Christ, who is in you, has already overcome the world, it's already done. And you are eternal. And in eternity, it's already happened. It's already true. Now walk in it. Walk in it. Now we can take a step back for a second. We can say, okay, what, what does that mean in, the, in, the, in fellowship? John, remember, John's writing about fellowship with God and with others. What, how, how does this come back into here? Well, the fact that you are eternal and you are not tied to this world and that the fact that it's already done in eternity, man, that frees you up. That frees you up big time from all of those worldly things that we use to protect ourselves from God and from others you're not bound to those things, remember? So now you're free to actually enjoy a relationship, to have a relationship, and to be in that relationship freely with fellowship. Because we are eternal, and the focus is not on becoming eternal, but because we are already eternal, and because the focus is not on doing what we need to do to become eternal or to get to the afterlife, now the focus is on having relationship and experiencing the relationship and the fellowship in that relationship. See, now we can recognize that relationship with God, that's not in jeopardy for us, right? Because it's eternal. Now we can focus on the relationship with him and we can do the growing and we can do the maturing or he can do that in us in relationship because we are actually already experiencing relationship and we're experiencing peace in that relationship with God. And the same goes for relationship with people. Now we're not focused on maneuvering ourselves and, we're, and setting ourselves up to be seen in the, in the right light or to, or to make sure that everybody knows that we're doing the right things. We're not focused on that. We're not hiding because we're ashamed of things. We're not using the things of the world to compensate for the things in the places where we feel like we fall short. Now we're trusting that all the things that, that, that hinder uh, and hold us back in those things are actually already accomplished in us and for us and for one another in eternity. 
and we can really be free to enjoy one another. There's one last thing that I feel like ties this together with what John is, is saying here, and it's in verse 19. We already read it, but he, he brings up this idea of the, the antichrists, right? Like the antichrist, yes, but then what he's discussing is like little antichrists, okay? Little antichrists. He says, um, you know, in fact, many antichrists have already appeared um, from this. We know it's the last hour. And he's making that, he's bringing that into it, and he's saying, listen, it, you're eternal, Okay, we know this is the last, the world is passing away, but you're eternal. This is a sign right here, okay? Um, but then in verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be evident that they all are not of us. So it seems like, as we read this, John is saying there were some people, they were a part of whether it's the apostles or just a part of the church in general that were, who, were, who were with them and who were among them, who were fellowshiping with them or were in relationship with them. Um, there are people who have gone out from this group and they're not a part of that group anymore. And they've got a different message than that group, them. He says, because if they were really of us, well, then they would have remained here. But since they, they're not, they've gone on. Okay? And this is not like a, a, a church split. Okay? This is not like a theological difference. This is ma major. I don't know how to say it other than that. Like, this is like the primary thing. Because we can, we can look at this and, and John says, those people have gone out from us and we know that they're antichrist. So what does antichrist mean? Well, it's in the name, antichrist. They're opposing Christ, Okay? They are anti-Jesus as the Messiah. He says in, the, in verses that we already read in, in 1 John 2, he says, who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He's talking about these people. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So they're saying Jesus is like, he's not, he's, he's not he wasn't the Messiah, right? He wasn't the Christ. And he also clarifies it in 2 John um, if I can get there, 2 John, verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver. This is the Antichrist. So it's people that were a part of them, that were a part of the church, who have gone out now and are not a part of the church, but they're not a part of the church because they never really believed anyway, is what he's saying, Okay. They've gone out and now they're denying that Jesus is Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's not the Messiah. Maybe he, was, maybe he was a person, right? I mean, we believed he walked around and he had some followers and all that stuff, but he really wasn't the Messiah, okay? So you're talking about probably a Jewish group of people who heard about this Messiah, came along, followed for a little bit and decided, you know what, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And now they're saying he wasn't really the Messiah. So there were people even in and among the apostles who said they believed and that they were with them, but who behaved in a way, portrayed to others that they were born again, but who were not actually born again. And now it's clear because now they've gone out and they're denying the Father and the Son. They're denying that Jesus uh, was who he said he was. And in verse 26 in 1 John, 
He says this, chapter 2. He says, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you have received from him remains in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you remain in him. So these people are going out and they're actively like, they're, they're trying to tell these people Jesus is not the Messiah, right? There's, there's this word out there that, well, maybe, maybe we were wrong about this. They're trying to, to tell them that God didn't do it. It's not Jesus. It's not Messiah. He's not here yet. We're still waiting, that kind of a thing. Jesus was a fraud. Or there's some kind of secret knowledge that you need to know on top of Jesus, and, and we've got it, and you need to have it. So John says, I'm writing you these things because there are those who are trying to deceive you about Jesus. But the anointing, that you have, the anointing from God that lives in you means there's no need for you to be taught about whether Jesus is the Messiah because you know that Jesus is the Messiah. You know this. You know this. Because when you're born again with the Spirit of God in you, you have experienced something, okay? You have experienced becoming a new creation. And how are you gonna argue with that? It's basically John's argument. There's no amount of logic that is gonna ever convince me that God isn't real. There's no amount of logic that's ever gonna tell me that I, I'm, I've not been born again or that I'm not made new, that the old me is dead. You can't do it because I've experienced the power of God making me new. I don't need instruction about that because I know it, okay? And John says his anointing teaches you about these things. It's true. It's not a lie. Just as it has taught you, you remain in him. The spirit within you tells you that you are in him. It has taught you, it has instructed you that you are in him. And so this whole idea, this, this, this section, it brings everything together. Everything we talked about this morning, John is reiterating to these people. It's part of a letter, okay? He says, I'm writing to you so you can have fellowship with God and with one another. I know that you know him. I know that you, you, I'm writing you because you've been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you because you know him who was from the beginning. You know him. That's why I'm writing you. I'm writing you so that you can have fellowship. This is who you are. You're not a part of that world anymore. You are eternal. This is the promise to, that he made to us. You are eternal. So don't love the world. You're not of it, okay? You're not of it. Now you are of the kingdom of God. Now you can have relationship with your brothers and sisters. That is where your allegiance lies. And he continues on. There, was once, there were once those people who were, who were a part of us, or, but clearly they were really never a part of understanding the gospel of Jesus because now they're saying that Jesus is not the Christ. And it appears there might be some worry there because he's really assuring this church. And he says, listen, you might be worried that you're gonna run off, okay? You might be worried that you're gonna realize that, oh, you know what, these people are right. They're, Jesus is really not the Christ. And, and then what have I given my life to? Or what, have I, what, what, if, what, if, I'm, what if I'm not sure? What if I'm not exp um, experiencing this thing? But he says, listen, 
You've been born again. You've been made new. You don't need to worry about that. You've experienced it. You know it, okay? Because you can't have actually been made new and then decide, you know what, I think that was probably just a stomach issue. <laughs> Had a little indigestion. You can't, you can't, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. You can't decide that that's, that was a phase that you dealt with, right? John says, you know because you know. And when you know, you know it. Okay? That's what he's saying. You know because you know. Because what we're talking about is actual rebirth. Do you understand this? There is actually something that happens inside you. This is not theory. You actually go from death to life. Okay? You actually do. You actually become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus when you are born again. It is a, it's an experience. Okay? You're not going to be convinced out of that by somebody who said, yeah, the Jesus guy, right? Not really so sure about him. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be convinced of that. What we're talking about is relationship with Christ versus religion. It's what John is saying. There were people who were a part of us because they converted to this religion, but clearly they were never born again because now they're denying that Jesus is the Christ. Clearly they never had that experience. They never understood that Jesus is the Messiah because they never were born again, okay? If you get religion and all that you have uh, bought into in Christianity is, is, is Christianity as a behavior modification system. But you somehow miss the point of being born again. You've not experienced anything. And you can walk away from that. Because it was all you. And it was all whether you decided to do it or not. Right? And when it didn't work, you got to walk away. But if you've been born again, and if you've been made new, this is about more than behavior modification. This is Christ in you. And there is no one who actually experiences that that then says, it was a phase, something I went through when I was a kid, right? John says, I know that you know him. I know that you know him. I know you have experienced him. Those other people, obviously they hadn't. And I'm not basing that off of their behavior. It's still John talking. I'm basing that off the fact that they're denying that Jesus is who he says he was. And if you've been born again and made new, that's not an option. The anointing in you tells you that you've been made new. So relax, trust him. Begin to enjoy the fellowship with him and your brothers and your sisters who are also in him. This is an assurance from John to the church. You're okay. Calm down. Calm down. You're okay. You have something inside of you, the spirit of God who testifies to you that you are his child. According to Romans 8, Paul says that. He said, my, the, the spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I am his child or we are his children, Okay. See, it's possible to walk away from religion. 
if all you bought is behavior modification and being in church, you can leave that. You can come to the conclusion that, eh, maybe Jesus wasn't real. Maybe God doesn't exist. There's a lot of people, millions of people that are walking away from religion, Christianity and other, right? Lots of people are walking away from religion. Even people who have been born again, who have been made new, who have experienced the power of God are walking away because they're fed up with religion, okay? They're still born again by the power of Christ, but they can't handle the church anymore. And there's people who, who do that and they still have a relationship with God. They still have a great relationship with God. They just don't go to church anymore because I can't handle religion. So they do their own thing, but they miss out on the fellowship with brothers and sisters. And that's, that's sad. Many though, I think, because they can't handle religion that they find in church, they fall prey to the illusion, to the deception of the enemy that says that's all there was anyway. And they convince themselves that the relationship with God, maybe that wasn't ever really a thing. I mean, I think I felt something. I think there was something there, but I'm not so sure anymore. There's deception there. And so they live the rest of their lives on earth not knowing what they have available to them in Christ now because religion kind of drove them off. They don't see the provision and the blessing that he has from them on this earth as his child. They endure heartache and pain because they bring it on themselves through sin because they've given up on the other stuff. They don't remember that they're his child. So John is reiterating to these people, you know Christ. You know Christ. And this idea of walking away, it's not even in the realm of your experience, okay? Because you know. You know. The spirit inside you testifies. Paul, um, I'm not there yet, sorry. Don't let those, he says, don't let those who have been the victim of religion convince you otherwise. This is why I can't stand religion. Because it provides the illusion of relationship with God without the actual power of experiencing new birth. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he warns about these kinds of people and he says, listen, these people, they have a form of religion, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power because they haven't experienced its power. And many Christian institutions who legitimately want to offer people new birth, they're genuinely wanting to offer people relationship with Christ. I believe that for every church. They want people to find Christ. But we get caught up, covered up, tangled up with religion, and it muddies the water for those who need him. John is writing to these people, and he says, don't buy that. Those people who are out there saying that Jesus isn't the Christ. They haven't experienced what you know. They have never, they never knew it from the beginning. They never knew what it was to be born again. They might have looked like it. They may have acted like it. But because they thought that's what it was about, like they, they might have looked and acted like it. But I'm telling you, you're eternal. And you know it because the spirit in you testifies to it. John says, when you know it, you know it. And I'm writing you to remind you 
I am assuring you that you know it. Believers, Christians, and saints, you know it. You know it. This is the promise he made to us, eternal life now. You know it. And if you know it, relax. Enjoy the fellowship that you have with God and with one another because he has done this work in you. And if you don't know it, if you haven't experienced the power of God making you new, do you want it? That's a real question. Do you want it? If all you've had up to now is religion and behavior, a behavior modification program, do you want to be born again? Because I'm telling you, it's a real thing. You experience it. It actually happens. It's tangible. You know it. See, for me, the problem with the church or with religion primarily dictating behaviors that need to be changed is that I can do behavior change without being born again. But I cannot experience new birth through behavior change. I can do behavior change without being born again, but I cannot experience being born again through behavior change. And I'm very concerned that there are many people who are getting the message of behavior change in church, but not getting the message of understanding new birth and righteousness in Christ. And I believe there are a lot of people who are in church who are getting dunked under the water and who are changing behavior according to what the church expects, but they've not been born again. And that's heartbreaking. Because those are the people who I believe when they come to Jesus at the end of the day and say, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I stopped doing the sin things mostly. And he says, I didn't know you. And in religion, there's also many people who have been legitimately born again, but they don't know what it means for them and their relationship with God because all they are receiving is more behavior modification training. My heart is for people to be born again and know it. To experience the old passing away and the new coming. To experience life in Christ because they experience actually being born again and actually knowing that they've been made alive in Christ. And because of that, they can experience fellowship with God where they are not ashamed and they have no fear of him because he's the one that's been doing the changing. He's the one that made them righteous in the first place. And that person who has been born again that person who knows they've been made righteous, that's not somebody that I have to convince to do the right thing or to tell them that sin is bad. They already know it because they've been made new. 
and the Spirit of God lives in them. I don't have to tell that person to give 10% of their income because they give according to the desire of their new heart that wants to be a part of other people being born again and knowing it. I don't have to tell that person to pray more, to worship God more, or to specify how they need to worship him because he's actually done something in them that brings about from the very core of who they are joy and thankfulness and gratitude and worship for the God of this universe who has made them right. That's somebody who has a new heart that can live according to the new heart that they've been given. And this is a bold move for a church. But I believe instead of me telling people to change their behavior, I can trust the power of God through the Spirit of God in the born-again believer to change that behavior if or when it needs changing. And I can remind people that sin is not what God wants for us. It is not what he designed us for. It is not what we were created for, especially when we're born again. That it will only bring pain and trouble in your life. But you already know that, don't you? So do I expect a born-again believer to look like a born-again believer? Yes, I do. But I do not believe that I have to coerce or manipulate specific behavior out of you. I believe that when you are born again, the Spirit of God actually lives inside of you and you can trust him to take care of what needs to be taken care of. And if you are not a born-again believer... I certainly don't want you acting like it. If you aren't a born-again believer, I don't want you acting like it. I don't want any part of convincing you to act like you're born again because if you act like it and you haven't experienced being made alive in Christ, you never knew him. And the religion of acting like it might blind you from the truth that you don't know him. And I don't want any part of that. So my primary goal as a pastor is not to get you to act right. I know that makes for a messy church. But my primary goal as a pastor is to get you to be right in relationship with God. And the only way that happens is through the grace of Jesus. He did the work that he did on the cross and in the resurrection. And I'm going to trust him to take care of the rest of that if he sees fit. In the meantime, I'm going to remind you who you are as a righteous saint, and I want you to enjoy the fellowship that God has with you as a new creation because I believe that is the entire purpose of our existence, relationship and fellowship with him. And if in the process of all this we have people who come in and who are a part of us and who act right for a period of time or who don't act right, but they misunderstand what it is to be born again and they go out from us without relationship with him, I would rather have that than to have a religious institution that keeps people away because of religion or welcomes people in and conforms them to religion, but they miss out on being born again and having a relationship with God. I don't want that. I can't lead that church. 
Maybe this church is not for everyone, but I believe the gospel is for everyone. And I want people to have a chance to hear it and a chance to experience it and a chance to know what it is that they can be born again. So I want the worship team to come on back up, invite y'all up. And as they come up, I want to pray. So why don't you all go ahead and stand up, everybody. Sorry. This is a serious deal. Knowing that you're born again. And I'm not asking you to doubt whether you're born again. I'm telling you, if you know it, you know it, okay? If you know it, you know it. If the Spirit of God resides in you, if you said, Jesus, yes, you took my place, I'll take that. I need that because there is absolutely no other way. Yeah, I'll take that. Then there is an actual process of new birth that happens and that you experience, and when you experience it, you know it. So I'm not asking anybody to doubt that. But I want you to know it, okay? I want that to be true for you. I want that to be your experience. So if that is your experience, awesome. Know that you're a righteous saint who is in relationship with God, and you get to fellowship with him, and you get to fellowship with the rest of us who are. If that's not been your experience, do you want it to be? Do you want to be born again? I'm not about behavior modification. I believe that the Spirit takes care of that. So if you want that, I'm going to go to the back, and I'd love to pray with you to know what it is to be born again, to experience being born again, to experience receiving the Spirit of God in you. I don't want you to leave without it. Let's just pray. Father God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would rain down in this place right now. I know you're here. I feel you here in, 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 in the atmosphere. I felt it before we started worship, God. Um, I, I just know your presence is here. God, we thank you for the reality of actual new birth, of actually being made alive in Christ praise you for that. I worship you for that, God. You have done an incredible thing that no one else could do. And you've done it in us. Father, I just pray that if there is anybody here who has never experienced that, that this will be the day. Press it upon our hearts, Lord. Move in us. Move among us. We just turn to you and we worship you again, Lord. We love you. Amen.